ladies and gentlemen, catchers of all ages, and to our listeners around the world, it's time for the only podcast by catchers, The Mound Visit, with your host, Tyler Goodrow, Chris News, and CJ Medlin. And on his way out to the mound first is Tyler Goodrow. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to The Mound Visit, the catcher's podcast show. Before we get rolling with any number six, and once again, our guest brings it. A must-must episode full of great information you are not going to want to miss out on. We also want to say thank you to our loyal partners over at All Star Sports. All Star continues to be on the leading edge of quality and safety for both baseball and softball catchers in the world. All right. Are we ready? Get set. Cue the music. Part of the train and the thrill of it is the journey, is the process. It takes a special kind of person or team to really embrace that. There's something different about those guys, and you're not afraid of, of the process. You love practice. You love the grind, and that's what the Dodgers are about. Sit back, relax, because it's time for Dodger baseball. All right, everybody, we're back here at the Mound Visit Podcast. We're rolling into any number six, and we are excited to bring on this next guest. He is the Los Angeles Dodgers catching coordinator, Ryan Sienko. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Ryan, you know, spring training was just ramping up and things were getting it going, and you were about two weeks out from where the guys were breaking from camp and then it was going into extended. Talk to us a little bit about what the feeling was like when the news broke that they were suspending spring training. Uh, it was just surreal. Um, you know, we were plugging along. We'd been there. Shoot, I've been at the complex since the middle of January. Uh, we've had a lot of players in, and then we had a catching camp prior to major league spring training. So, uh, you know, we'd been there for a month and a half or so and it just kind of hit and you heard, uh, the grumblings that something might happen. And then there, you know, there was meetings and then there was more meetings and then everybody just let us know what was going to happen. And, um, you know, you don't want to leave. Uh, you know, I, we had a, our final meeting on the Saturday and then I went in on Monday, um, just in case something was going on and, you know, like it got promptly kicked out of there pretty quickly. So uh, really not much going on. They've completely shut the complex down. Uh, there's all the players are gone. Um, there's nothing we can do at this point, which really stinks uh, because we had a great spring going both on the major and the minor league side, as far as I can, uh, you know, from my, my perspective and uh, the guys were ready to rock, you know, Ryan, were you a, uh... Were you guys now being at home, are you still in constant contact with your catchers, you know, both on, on both sides? And sure. Yeah. We have tech, we, we have tech streams and, uh, okay. um, you know, gentle ribbing, we'll call it back and forth. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and really no one can, there's nowhere really for guys to go unless they have their own facility at this point. So, mm -hmm. um, it's pretty much just stopped. Um, you know, I've even asked because there's some of our Venezuelan players that are still here because it's just a better situation here, unfortunately, than it is for them back home. And, um, you know, I asked if I could just take them to a park and, you know, it's told it's kind of a, that's kind of an iffy uh, thing to do. So mm -hmm. we're, yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing we can do other than, uh, you know, text and phone calls 
um, you know, these Zoom kind of calls or, or FaceTime. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's nice that the technology is there for it, uh, certainly. But, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, I play catch with my kid every day. It's the most baseball stuff I get going right now, which is kind of nice. It's an unbelievable thing to happen to our world that it's almost like it just has all shut down. And, you know, we have these outlets that we can turn to such as a podcast or going back to watch old spring training games um, that just took recently this year. So I want to shift gears though, Ryan, let's, let's talk about you. Well, first off, I want to ask you're doing okay. Your family's doing okay. And, and then obviously yeah, we're good. good. We're, good. we're doing really well. Um, it's not easy with the kids as, as uh, I know Chris understands. When you got your kids running around, they're a little older. It, uh, there's only so much you can do. Thank goodness we have a, a nice backyard to do stuff in. But, um, I mean, shoot, uh, I ran to Home Depot yesterday, and that was kind of the start, or to Lowe's, and that was the stark reminder that I should probably stay in a little bit more. There was a lot of people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you don't want to put your family at risk or your friends at risk or anybody you do choose to to stay with. And luckily, we've got a couple families that we are uh, kind of staying in somewhat close contact with so it's been okay for the kids but man it's 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 uh it's different you know i've got the garage clean a couple projects done finished the puzzle last night um i mean it's gonna continue as we uh as we get further into this you know i made a nice little garden bed outside let's see what else we got gosh you're a man of all trades man. yeah that's my 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 boredom goes into woodworking so Well, um, again, we, we, we wish you and your family, uh, you know, all the best and stay Thank healthy you, man. and safe. Same here. I mean, I, I guess for everybody, you know, it's you know. just, it's crazy. Yeah. When, when will we get out of this? Who knows? Um, hopefully let's change. The, yeah. Hopefully soon. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. We need some baseball. We need some, some vitamin D in our life. So hopefully, well, you're in Arizona. So the weather's, you know, well, we, we have a, the good news up here in New York is that they, I mean, I'm on the other side of we're eight hours from the city. But it is, you know, New York is a little bit crazy with everything that's going on. The only positive, now the kids are out of school until they're shooting for April 20th. So everybody's at home. But they haven't canceled the season. They've canceled, you know, all the winter sports, all their championships. Um, All the colleges obviously have closed down as well. But for high school, you know, they'll still have that open. Uh, They're looking to hopefully get that started around the, the middle end of April, which would be nice, especially for the kids that are seniors, you know, yeah, if you're no still getting a chance to play, even though the season's typically about 15, 20 games because they're playing in, in snow and rain anyways. So, so I can tell you, I don't miss 40 that degrees kind of up here. in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Growing up in Chicago, I understand the uh, challenges of the weather. Well, that's a good segue in, Ryan. Why don't you go ahead and give uh, our listeners that don't know you, which I would be surprised if they don't know who you are, but uh, give the, the listeners, you know, your playing background um, and then where you're at today. Grew up outside Chicago, Elgin, Illinois. Um, played on some really great teams when I was younger. Championship, uh, state championship teams, Legion, Babe Ruth champions, and stuff like that. So uh, loved having success. That, was, that made baseball a lot more fun, as we all know. I uh, went to the University of Iowa where we didn't actually have as much success, but uh, we uh, had a good group there. Um, and then I played eight years in the minor leagues, just trolled around, had a couple good weeks here and there, and that's about it. Uh, as long as guys could just throw fastballs and eliminate the slider, I would have been a much better player. 
Um, <laughs> as soon as I got out, uh, I was two um, and started catching for Tom House in the off season. And um, as soon as I got done, I basically moved right back into that role uh, right when he started National Pitching Association. So then Tom and I, you know, he taught me kind of everything about the pitching side. And then uh, I did the camps and stuff with him for about five or six years, ran uh, National Pitching Association for a while. Um, and then when Tom, the day Tom took the job at USC to be the pitching coach, I quit and started my catch and throw. So I wanted to do the catching, get out of the pitching a little bit, um, which was fun. I uh, learned a lot, met a lot of great people, had a lot of great relationships, but uh, the catching is where I wanted to be. And uh, back then, really, there wasn't many guys doing it. Um, uh, Mr. Weaver was really the only guy, and he was actually a really nice ally back then um, when, you know, before he got sick and stuff. But, uh, you know, he reached out really right after I'd started and said, hey, you know, there's not that many of us out here. Can we kind of talk? And it was great. We had a really good conversation or two with him. And, um, saw there was some opportunity to, you know, run with it. And then as that went forward, uh, coached high school, coached a couple, at a couple different high schools, um, didn't love it necessarily because of the parents. So, you know, getting into pro ball was really great. Uh, met Gabe Kapler through Jack McDowell, um, who I had coached his children, two of his kids. And then we, we both kind of took, high school teams over at the same time. So when he left to go here to the Dodgers, uh, the next year, the winter meetings were in San Diego. And I, he called me, just asked if I wanted to come down, hang and, uh, met Gabe actually right outside of an elevator where, uh, cap told me basically there's no jobs, but Hey, what do you think about this old framing thing? And, um, I said, well, I don't really like framing. I think it's receiving and there's ways to help, you know? So, uh, to make this long story longer, basically uh, went back and forth with Cap for about a month, uh, went up to his house in Malibu and sat with him and really worked on this presentation that I was going to give to uh, the players at their winter development um, meeting in L.A. Um, basically got done with that and was offered a job a couple of days later. Ironically, was offered a different job with the Padres like four hours before. So. I went from, you know, mowing. I was actually mowing the the outfield uh, when I got the phone calls, you know. <laughs> I went from mowing the outfield to having two job offers. So it's kind of a, a neat gig, and uh, it's been great. Worked with uh, Travis Barbary for a few years, and then I've taken over full, uh, kind of the full thing and uh, worked with a lot of great guys, Tony Capicelli and Chris Jimenez now, Bill Hasselman, Fumi Ishibashi. Um, those are kind of the guys that, run our catching crew, uh, Cater Collado down in the DR. So, you know, we've got a, an awesome group of guys and a really passionate group that, you know, we work really hard. And, and with our R&D department, uh, Emily Fragapane and uh, David Hill is now helping us with some stuff. And we've got a good group of people that really, you know, um, have a passion for this and know that it has value. Um, this, not only this position, but then with the metrics and everything else, which I'm sure we want to talk about, but, um, you know, that's kind of how it's gone and it's been a really fun, well, five years, this is my sixth year. So five and change, I'll count a little bit of spring training as part of this year. 
And that's hey, Ryan. all I got. I don't really have anything else. <laughs> well, let's let's go even a little bit a little bit further back. So they say that I mean everyone we all know that catching is is a different breed and you got to kind of be a different animal to you know not only get into it but to enjoy every aspect of it. So I I mean I always remembered my first time when I said, "Hey, this is what I want to do." You remember uh what got you into catching originally? Yeah. So I was like um I'd always caught, I would say, gosh, I'm trying to think when I first did it, probably like uh, 10, nine or 10 years old um, in Elgin Continental Little League. And, and my father had caught, uh, played on a national championship team, um, like the Stan Musial division, which mm-hmm. really doesn't, I don't know if that exists anymore. But um, so he was a catcher, went to University of Chicago. It always is, you know, that was a big deal for us was always the baseball. It's where we kind of bonded over everything. And you know, my dad gave me a lot of, still does, gives me a lot of uh, great advice on a lot of things. And now um, it's more about how to be a leader. Uh, he works, worked in state government for a really long time and um, uh, ran a bunch of the state agencies and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, our conversations have certainly shifted from just the baseball side of it to the aggressiveness to how to win, how to, you know, all these different things mm-hmm. uh, now to, okay you're a leader of a group, how are you going to you deal with this? And, and I think those lessons are, you know, hopefully I can pass those on to my son, but um, it's definitely shifted how I look at the position um, now in a leadership position. So yeah, it kind of started way back then and it's kind of just morphed its way all the way uh, to where we are today. And um, hopefully it continues. That's awesome. I know the, I was a just quick, Quick story, I was in eighth grade and we had nobody that could catch. And mm-hmm. so I went back there and the very first time I was back there, you know, I'd watched, I'd watched Tony Pena and guys like that, a little older than you guys. And um, anyways, the, I remember the first inning, I'm seeing balls getting hit into the gap and down the lines. And all I remember is seeing all these infielders and outfielders running. And yeah. at the end of the inning, I look and I'm like, wow, I got the shortest, shortest run of anywhere. I don't ever have to run again. All I have to do is just catch a catch a ball, throw it around a little bit, and and I'm involved in every single play. And I, yeah. I went over and I told the coach, I'm like, thank you. I said, this is this is great. I'm I'm perfectly great right here. So I I love the fact that we never had a run really anymore as much as the uh, the other position players. That's a great point. Never thought of it that way. <laughs> I do tell our guys that if you know you try try to strike out or hit homer, so you don't have to run as hard. that's what i tell them all the time i'm like your legs get beat up enough like let's just punch out or hit homers why not do you do you guys do anything with the dodgers um as far as with catchers and conditioning i know my when we had gary bennett on we were yeah teammates with the phillies we always had to wear our our shin guards for for conditioning for bullpens for um batting prey i mean we they were literally a part of our legs that's what we were told and we got to finally take them off it was about like two weeks into spring training when everything, you know, games and everything started. But um, you guys do anything like that? A little I, would, bit out of the I would say we're much more kinder and gentler to <laughs> uh, our guys than we, you know, that all of us grew up on. Um, we certainly don't have those kind of, uh, lo- we don't have the long days that, you know, we all once had, um, you know, we'll have, uh, what, what is it? 13 or 17 catchers here where, you know, when, when we were all kind of doing this, you'd have like six for the whole camp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm consistently lobbying uh, for less workload on the catchers rather than more. Um, 
rather use the time to do some training than just the mindless bullpen stuff. And it's really hard. Listen, we understand that the guys, the pitchers, their, their bullpen time is their special time. We're, we're well aware of that. But at the end of the day, when you're catching six, seven, eight pens a day, it's really hard, not only for your own safety, you know, to take care of yourself on every pitch, but then, you know, to make that guy feel really special. So, uh, thankfully we have more guys so you can spread it out so the guys can stay focused. Uh, cause it's unrealistic to think, you know, I mean, I, I can tell you that we had such a great turnout before spring training this year, there was 80 bullpens the week before wow. major okay. league spring wow. training started. So, uh, we were shorthanded and it was only like five or six guys and, you know, that's more work than they were ever going to get almost in spring training. So, uh, yeah, they train so much different than we used to. I mean, my goodness, what our performance staff does with our players, uh, it's, it's incredible uh, what the training staff does to keep them on the field and then what performance does to kind of get them ready to play. Uh, we don't have to do anything extra. You know, we, we will do some, I would call them like fun games rather than, uh, you know, the old school, like pounded into us. Right. Um, you know, my big thing always is like, I, I hate when guys say that catchers are lazy. Like these guys have been back here for a month and a half already. If they were lazy, they would quit. And if they could hit more, they'd probably want to go play the outfield. And we're in a position to where uh, there's so much extra work, not only physically, but then mentally and then the game prep uh, that we try to take them off their feet as much as possible, uh, just because they're going to get beat up, you know, on the back end. And, uh, you know, for us, what we're trying to do is train them so they're really good at the end of the season when they have to start the second season. So um, everything is geared towards that, um, not only in our training, like physically, but then our skill set and then what we're doing with the game planning. It's all geared so that when they hopefully do get to L.A., that they are ready to go, that they can lead the staff and then they can push forward to win a championship. Follow up on that. I mean, obviously bullpens have changed, right? So there's a lot of added technology into it. Are you seeing those extended lead to say, okay, this guy's, he's looking maybe at every pitch of Rapsodo or he's getting filmed or edutronics are on these guys. Are you saying, okay, from the catching standpoint, like maybe you can go to, um, you know, Mark Pryor and say, Hey, these guys are, are, are getting worn out a little bit. Can we, can we go two or three or do you have any no. input on that? No, there's, we're at the mercy of whatever, you know, the most important asset to the organization is going to do. And, and plain and simple, that's the pitchers. So mm -hmm. uh, we are there to serve them at all costs. Uh, and that's what we do. And uh, if I go to tell Mark something, I know where he's going to go tell me to go. So <laughs> I've known Mark for a really, really long time. Yeah. Uh, back in the days when he was rehabbing and trying to make his, I mean, we spent a lot of lonely days in the backfield. So um, we have a really good relationship. So he understands what, what we go through, not only Mark, but uh, you know, all on our side with uh, Donna Alexander and Gabe Rivas and now Rob Hill, that, that, that pitching coordinator group, they are appreciative of what our guys do for their guys. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, they do what they can to support us. And, and there are some days where it's tough for the fellas, right? And um, there's days where when it's easy, we try to take it easy on them. We don't, we're not trying to kill them. You know, there's right. no, uh, like, the badge of honor by working hard. Like, 
they, they've earned that already. Um, they don't, we don't have to go and, and do more. Uh, I'd, I'd rather actually pull back and do less some days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we you, get them off their feet, man. We, yeah. there's many times when their pens are done. If, if we've had a good work week or a good work day, like they'll go inside for 20, 30 minutes before they have to go to their next station. Very kind. <laughs> yeah. 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 Believe me, yeah, it's the way I different. coach is exactly what I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't given. So, mm-hmm. um, we will never do anything that first I wouldn't want to do. Um, or I think is necessary because the, the BS meter on these guys is so high. You know, I mean, as we all know, we've watched a lot of drills that we probably don't like on Twitter or social media or whatever. And um, I would never take something to the guys that I don't think could help them. There have been times where I'm like, Hey, I think this might work. Are you willing to try it? You know? And um, that's gone from, you know, Will and Austin all the way down to our, our guys in the Dominican. I mean, if, if I get a lesson or something, then I might try things a little bit more. That might be where I do a little bit more of an experiment, but I, I I don't want to waste anyone's time. And I certainly don't want to do anything that's not going to apply to them making the jumps to the big leagues uh, or, you know, making them a better person or player. So the question I I have, and I mean, when, when you played and I played, there are a lot of different things obviously when we played than there are today leading into obviously the the setup now you've you're just saying how you want to keep your you want to keep the guys fresh you want them stronger by august and toward the end of the season and we want to try to conserve their energy as as much as possible what was it like when you first when you first heard about the one knee stances and kind of walk me through how you how you came into it and where you went with it from there I would say back around 2011, okay. somewhere in there is when uh, I actually had a player concussion. That was the only catcher I had. Um, so I had to go and hey, like, would anyone do this for us right here? And, uh, and the, you know, I had a player, uh, Galen Morris is his name. And he, he uh, said, I'll try it, you know, and uh, that was kind of the first time because it was crash course, never caught. Um, here, go to a knee, you know, if there's nobody on, there's no reason to go into a stance that your legs aren't ready for it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how we started doing it. And I would say that was kind of what started me on that path. And then, um, and then let's see, kind of moved forward, had a kid named Riley Adams. Uh, he did it some, and then, um, we actually converted him from shortstop to catcher and he went on to USD and then got drafted, uh, by the Blue Jays now. Um, and then, uh, we had a guy named Kyle Farmer, uh, he's with the Reds now and, and Kyle had some flexibility issues and he was converted. He was a shortstop at Georgia. Uh, we were in Rancho Cucamonga, so high A, uh, and we said, okay, let's try this. You know, you're, you're more stable from a knee. You're in a better position. Go ahead and do it. And it was like, okay, you know, just go ahead and try it. Do a few times. No big deal. And then he was really good at it and kind of kept doing it. And then we're like, Hey, you know, that's kind of looks bad. Let's uh, pull back a little bit. (laughs) How about you only do it like 15 to 20 times per game. And then he was doing it, you know, kind of appropriate amount for what we thought at that point. And then finally it's like, screw it, you know, just do do whatever. And I think that's really where uh, it was opening to me is somewhere in the 2015, 2016 area. And, And believe me, Kyle worked his butt off and was able to get into positions. Um, 
that next off season. It was awesome. And then he's had a nice little major league career since then. Um, but I think that's when I realized there's no rules to any of this. You know, mm -hmm. we were just told to do stuff. And, and I would say the way that I teach catching, um, it's way further back than that and realize like, listen, what we were taught isn't what guys that are really good do. And okay, where is that disconnect? And it's, it comes kind of from the training that we got that was, you know, kind of incestual. It started back in the fifties and then that coach immediately became a coach and he was teaching what his guy taught. And then, you know, that catcher got done, he became a coach and then, they're all, we okay. all just kind of regurgitated what we wanted. And um, I think this is kind of where we're at right now. And this is a really great time because we realized that there aren't any rules and, right. you know, every other position and every other sport asks the question why. And we were always told because that's how you're supposed to do it. And uh, you know, you look lazy, you do this, you can't do this. And I, and I just, you know, I think that's crap. So again, um, from those days that, you know, we all had where it was like nine bullpens a day and then you got to go take a round of hitting, you know, a lot of what I teach stems from those days of, I don't want that, you know, and um, that's kind of where the risks started taking place was, you know, back in, when, when Galen started and then when Riley and then um, as I, you know, coached high school more and had different players and did more lessons, I thought, man, this is kind of cool. And not only were we receiving a little differently, but then you see guys in stances and then, um, you know, now it's kind of gotten, you know, Tanner obviously uh, has taken it to a different level. And, you know, I, I mean, not just Tanner, a lot of guys, but, uh, you know, I think it's just turned into more of the norm and it's still a little bit weird for people because um, a lot of people are still teaching what we were taught 25, 30 years ago. And not that that all is bad, but because you can quantify what we're doing now, you can see other things work or certain things don't work. And, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of where we're going. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I know a lot of people probably just think that, Hey, you know, this one knee stance has only been around a couple of years, but you're saying it actually went back to 2011, 2012, where you guys were experimenting with different things just to, to work with someone's body to give them a make them a little bit more comfortable in it that literally for me that's when it started and um i mean i think maybe once or twice when i of like a uh you know a novelty here and there you're trying to get something i don't know you know back when we mm -hmm. were just sticking stuff and trying to convince the empire sure. <laughs> to yell at us i don't know <laughs> you know and and uh, now we know that you can just you can do more and uh, you can help the umpire a lot by giving him better views and you certainly can influence the game in a positive or negative way. Um, and a lot of times guys, you know, are putting themselves in good positions to help. Now, I think this is a good point to, to go into. You're talking about how people and coaches, and, and I'm probably one in particular, when I first started instructing, of telling guys, hey, stick the ball, stick the ball, don't move it you're showing up umpire. And I think this is a good point to bring up kind of what your philosophy is. And if it's even a philosophy of yours, but what your philosophy is about, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but more of an extension to the ball and then absorbing it back in. So more of an extension flexion move. Um, go into that a little bit, Ryan, and, and kind of give well, I, I certainly was with you and 
probably everyone else teaching, um, you know, stick it and just make the glove pop and don't move the ball and don't let the ball move you. And, um, I mean, I remember back when I first, the first, one of the very first lessons I ever gave was to, uh, Stephen boat when he was in high school. And, um, you know, I can tell you everything I told him now, I would, I would say the opposite probably, you know, that was back in a lot. Oh gosh, I didn't know how long ago that was. It was a long time ago. And, you know, I, it, it's just different. We're all different at this point and we're, I think we're just learning and there's nothing wrong with that. The best thing I learned from Tom House is that, you know, never uh, be afraid to change and never be afraid to keep pushing forward. Um, I mean, he taught me so many great lessons about um, research and experimenting and using technology. Um, I can tell you that like when I first got to the Dodgers, we were, uh, I have a, you can kind of see it up there, that little blue sleeve up there, kind of up there. Mm -hmm. So we had a a catching sleeve. Um, We were the first one to kind of get some technology. So we had a sleeve with sensors in it and it has audio and it tells us what, you know, kind of what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Um, But I knew it wasn't going to be perfect. And I think others wanted it to be like the 10th generation. And uh, I was like, Hey, we'll take it. We'll take, you know, what a point in time with technology is still better than what we had yesterday. So uh, we, we certainly have used tech a lot with that. Then we can use, I'm sorry, then, then we can um, like see how different moves go. So uh, obviously I work from, you know, a full absorption move, basically playing the ball towards the umpire's eyes to give him the best view. So uh, that's that's kind of how I go about it. I don't I don't think there's any magic to it other than just setting really good angles and having the ball do the work for you. Um, if we're good with our angles and our leverage, then the ball should do what we want it to do. And then um, you know that's kind of how we go about our whole receiving our receiving game is it's, it's not magic as far as I'm concerned. Um, We have a very, very few drills that we use. It's all about just getting in the right position and being early to the ball. So with that being said, you know, you hear a lot of people and I just see it on, you know, Twitter fear or whatever you want to call it. A lot of people are saying, Hey, the gloves moving way too much gloves. Can you break that myth for us and, and give our listeners exactly? I think, what's yeah, happening? I think you have to look at it from a lot of different angles, right? What we see on TV is a wide angle lens for 450 feet away, man. And the game also looks really easy from there. You know, um, the same reason why there's a lot of grumpy men yelling, why can't that guy get a bunt down? You know, I mean, if, if it's 95 and it's sinking, it's if you then go to the side, it looks a little cleaner. And certainly w- when you get behind the catcher, that's when we see, um, you know, we see how fast everything happens. Uh, ideally, we want it to be just a one piece move. The ball comes in and it ends up wherever we uh, decide the ball wants, want, where we want the ball to end up uh, in presentation to the umpire. And that's really all we're trying to do is just craft the ball. Uh, to go in a higher probability area. That's really it. So you would say that if people are posting videos online to do it from an umpire's perspective? I would. I mean, side or, I, I you know, I mean, shoot, I'm guilty of all. I use every view. Um, we, we use a top view, a side view uh, from behind and then from in the front. So 
you know, I'm trying to find every view possible to get as much information to our guys as possible. I mean, we use video, like shoot, my phone runs out of video every day. I have to clean it out. So, um, you know, I've got 120 or 256 gigs of catching video. was basically on my phone. So, uh, you know, I think you should just take looks at different views and that's where we're going to find the most information. And, and uh, there's no right or wrong place for it. I think it's just a matter of finding what is going to help the catcher have a higher probability of getting a strike call. When you guys are going through your bullpens, do you guys have charts? And you, you said, obviously, you guys take a ton of video. Do you review that every single day? Or do you bring do. the catchers in individually and say, hey, let's go over your bullpen from either this morning or from yesterday? Uh, they don't get all of their bullpens videoed. The pitchers do. Um, uh, I mean, we look at a lot of the edutronic from behind the pitcher, and we'll look at the movements. Uh, but if I, if I had to look at every guy's video every single day, it would be probably, I don't know if I would ever get any sleep. Um, but I basically, whatever video I shoot, I usually make a, a movie of it every day uh, for the guys. And um, they, uh, I, set, I send it to them at the end of the day and then um, we review it however we're going to review it. You know, a lot of the times it's just to uh, give them perspective of what we were working on that day. Also, it's there for, you know, for us in our reporting. Uh, in our internal system. So, you know, I, I use a lot of video. Let's put it that way. So I want to talk to you and sorry, Chris, if, if you're going to ask something here, but I want to talk to you, Ryan, going into um, start talking about some of the guys that you've been around. I mean, every year it seems like the Dodgers or the guys that have come through the organization, you turn out just quality receivers and uh first guy i want to talk about is, is yasmani grandal you know he came over from san diego and you know he was adequate and and i shouldn't say he was adequate i mean he's in the big leagues um but he was a really good receiver and he just he he went to that status that is at the top and arguably he's one of the best receivers in the game right now it can really change the difference what were some of those conversations that you may have had with him early on that helped him maybe fix something you tweak something a little bit or or was it just an overall mindset change of how he was approaching honestly that? with Yaz I mean you don't really tell Yaz anything um I mean he's a really really good receiver he's a really good catcher I mean he's an elite dude in the big leagues and um I learned probably much more than anyone else from Yaz rather than anything we we suggested to him or talked to him about you know, he catches the ball really well. He's got really, really good timing. Um, he has his own special way of doing things, but I, I would say that uh, I didn't really do much with Yaz other than a couple little questions we had about some stance issues. Did Now, <clears throat> let's talk about guys that are currently in the system right now. Mm -hmm. uh, a guy like Austin Barnes, I mean, he is credited with having some of the quickest hands that you can ever see. And, and again, a lot of people that see that from that wide view lens that you spoke on about how much he moves the baseball. Um, and he's, you know, his stance is set up. He's a, he's a smaller guy and he gives a big wide glove target. Um, when you first got him or were around him, what were some of the things that you guys spoke on? Um, and again, was it going back to the angles, the glove target, 
the stance, the setup? They came over in 2015 from the Marlins, had Tim Cousins over there. So he had an incredible base uh, of knowledge. And, um, you know, I think really the only thing that he did when he first got here was just kind of narrow up his stance some, uh, kind of squared him up. And then um, I think he's just taken more risks over the years more than anything. Uh, I mean, we work a lot in spring training and stuff, but um, it's all about, okay, how can I get in position? What are my angles? And, um, you know, he has the best timing I've ever seen of anyone. Uh, his ability to get outside the baseball and already have momentum working back towards the zone is the best I've ever seen. So, uh, you know, it's, it's more about, okay, can the timing get better? When is the timing happening? You know, are your moves as consistent as they need to be? Those are the conversations that we have, you know, in the mornings when we do our work. So, um, you know, Austin's an incredible receiver. Uh, he is very, very smart behind the plate in a lot of different ways. So, uh, you know, it's, it's more about, okay, is this going to work for you? What can I hold you accountable with? You know, what are we looking at? And, um, you know, there's just every so often we'll try to find a drill that'll work for him um, and making sure that he can cover all the zones uh, as well as he can more than anything. One of the things I like about watching him is he looks almost like he's so relaxed. You know, you see guys that put a lot of effort into everything and he's just like, here it is. And there it goes. You know, there's uh, when pitchers really have to enjoy throwing to guys like that, knowing they can put the ball wherever they want and they're still going to be able to manipulate it a little bit more. Well, the big thing for us is the targeting, right? So uh, what, I guess something that we do much different than other teams that have the uh, glove moving all over the place and the glove on the ground stuff, the targeting really, really matters to us. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the calmness that we have and trying to keep our target as long as possible. And again, we're serving our pitching staff. And not only are we trying to serve them, but then we're trying to make sure that we can do the best work we can for them. Uh, so, you know, Austin, I think, is, is a great example of just like he's sitting there. He's a he's a very, very square target, uh, has a very, very small move. And then he just, you know, the ball just ends up where he wants it. So uh, to stay, like you said, very, very calm, um, read the ball. Uh, he gets very, very early reads. And, you know, that's kind of what makes him great. Definitely fun to watch. So um, with your... With your other catchers, Ryan, when you guys are getting into going into your meetings with the guys, is there anything that you guys are, I mean, are that they come back and give any feedback on what their pitchers are saying, whether it's, hey, I want you to set up a little higher. Did you guys get any pushback from any of the, any of the pitchers when you, you guys started going down with your different stances? Well, we try to do as many stances as possible. We preach having a knee stance, a primary stance, and then as many hybrid stances as possible uh, to meet what the pitchers need. So if we're, you know, especially now that the ball going up, we have um, different, you know, moves for each guy. And then we try to match those on what the guys can do. Uh, some guys like you to stand up a little bit. Some guys just want to have a flash. Some guys once you in your regular setup, you know, there's a lot of different things. And what we try to do is just educate both sides. Um, here's what I can do if I do this. And here's where, you know, 
maybe I have some problems and, you know, we have to be willing to sell out to certain targets at certain times. If, uh, you know, if, if we're going to go to try, especially the high pitch, it's really hard uh, when you set up high or you, you have to give a more elevated target generally to try to get the swing, but to make sure the ball gets there, it's really hard to cover down if the guys miss, which they do. Um, you know, you just, those are the kind of conversations we have. And, uh, we certainly ask each pitcher to tell us what they want. Uh, and then the guys communicate a lot there and, and we, we do match up our catchers quite a bit with pitchers, but then we also let them go across the board so they can learn everybody. Because, uh, I I'd say one thing that we do a little bit different here than other organizations is, is man, if you're ready to move, you move, you don't have to, um, play the full season. Uh, so mm-hmm. to speak, or dominate a full season before you get to move up. So, um, you know, there's guys that have been in A ball that pitch in the big leagues, and there's guys in AAA that are down in high A at some point, you know. So it, you, you need to be familiar with each one of the guys. And um, I think the guys do a really good job of communicating with each other because they understand the importance of that. Um, you know, and that's just part of what makes our kind of crew, you know, tight. You were you were on the stage, the main stage this year at ABCA, and your presentation, uh, not to toot your horn a little bit, but I'm going to, but it was phenomenal. And it, it put a lot of things in perspective. And one of the things that you talked about was pre-pitch and pre-pitch glove movement. And you said there's a million different ways to, to do a pre-pitch. And I think one of the most common ones is that you've seen a lot of catchers that are learning to – you know, try to move that ball before the, 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 when the pitch is in the last flight zone and, and, and making your move and your angle and, and whatnot, that everybody tends to take their thumb, you know, maybe center of their body and move it left, you know, glove side down in a way so they're not handcuffed on that pitch. What are some of the pre-pitch movements that you're working with with your guys? It's hard to say simply because we, we don't, again, we don't put rules on it. Um, the one, I guess there is the rule only is about the targeting is that we want to keep the target as long as possible. Um, it's a philosophy that's here with the Dodgers and it's, uh, uh, something that we, we work with. So, you know, we don't like to have the glove travel too far or certainly off that target line, uh, that much. Um, so we just try to keep whatever move you're going to do as small as possible as calm as possible and then as early as possible. So if we can get done around the time or right after release, around the time of release or right after release, then uh, we feel you're going to give yourself the best chance um, in that, not only that time and distance, but then the, you know, the amount of time available. So it's really just hard to say like which move. I mean, I, I, we have guys that use their eyes. We have guys that use their chest guys, that you know, um, you see, will the biggest thing we did, with Will back in whenever he was drafted, wherever that fall was, you know, it was just to use his hand was so aggressive. So we transferred some of that move into his, into his legs. Um, and then you can see if you watch him at all, you can see what he does. And he's, he's an elite receiver in his own, in his own way. And um, now that he's comfortable and with them, uh, you know, full time, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to, to do this year uh, because he has the ability to alter his timing in different ways. Um, to preset or to cheat or to anticipate or to stay still, um, you know, according to what the 
predictability of the miss might be. Uh, so he, he puts himself in really, really great positions. Um, and it's just a matter of him being in, you know, in the, in, in the strongest position he can be in. And that's, uh, that's kind of how we just go about it. So every one of our guys, you're not going to see the cookie. I don't want to say cookie cutter, but you're not going to see every one of our guys do the same thing because they, they are different and we will not, you know, I might ask them to try the same thing. And then when they say that doesn't work for me, we just go to something else. You know, we're not going to tell them what to do. This isn't, this isn't my career. I think the, the one thing we get caught up in sometimes is that this is about us and it's not, you know, this is truly about getting these guys to LA to win a world championship. And that's all we're here for. They can find anybody to feed a machine. You know, it's just trying to get these guys um, ready in their best possible way for them to, to have success and go forward. Can you explain a little bit about kind of Will, Will Smith's move um, about how he uses his, <laughs> I know exactly where you're going. Life. I see what you're doing, yeah. That's exactly the <laughs> move, they, they, too. They look cute, too, Ty. Yeah, so, <laughs> he, so what I'm doing on wiggle. screen, yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm kind of like, sh- you know, I don't know, shimmying my hips or something like that. But it's like, and then he really gets his, his left knee down underneath. And is, is that pulling his glove so his, his pockets below the plane of the pitch? No, nah, I, I think you're over... <laughs> you're looking way too deep into this, you know? Um, I mean, he would be the one to ask exactly what it feels like, but, uh, you know, I've seen enough of it over the last number of years now to, to know um, it's just his timing. It's getting his timing set. What he tries to do is keep the glove still and his body kind of settles in behind it. The reason I like to use the knee is just to push yourself down. The same re- reason that we go to a knee is that you're shifting the center of gravity lower to give yourself a little more clearance and space down there. And then also it's a stronger base for you to work from. So, um, I, you know, when we first started this, he came for 10 days in instructional league after his first year, cause he was still going back to school and it was a crash course every day of, okay, here's the move we'd like you to do. And it started off with probably a move about this big with his knee and then just kind of morphed its way into, into the, 20 different stances that he uses now. And I think it's awesome. Um, he's a hell of a player and he's going to be great for a really, really long time. And he has this great timing within himself. Um, and then that gives him the ability to use his hands the way that, that he knows how to. And, uh, he's a dynamic athlete as if, you know, most of these guys are. So I want to talk about, um, his throwing a little bit, it was, it was kind of interesting. So two years ago in Dallas, you had uh, thrown out there on Twitter, hey, guys, want to talk catching? And I took you up on it, and, and we spent some time um, in your hotel room, and we were talking, and you said, hey, take a look at this throw because I asked you about some throwing stuff. And I looked at it from the side, and I gave you a look of like, ew, that was, that was kind of weird. That was kind of awkward. And you're like, yeah, but he's like, dime on the bag every single time like dime throws every throw and he's generally sub two and it's quick and it's efficient and it's like we can't change that and it works for will um besides will are there guys that you look at you know we've we've talked a lot about the receiving aspect but are there guys that you get in that you say okay this works for will so we're not going to mess with him but is there somebody else that you're saying, okay, hey, this arm action, I need to clean up a little bit? Yeah, we certainly have guys that we're, we're doing stuff with constantly. 
Um, you know, we, we have uh, one of the driveline guys in now, Rob Hill, and uh, he's, he's doing some stuff with our guys with the balls to clean up the action of a few of the guys. And then some of them just throw really, really well. You know, I mean, we'll do the perfect game throws is kind of a, you know, going back to what we said earlier, just the fun competition. So, um, you know, I mean, when these guys cheat, a joke, you know, so I buy all those numbers that we get off perfect game, man, because I see when, when you get guys that are good at it, you can, you can throw really, really well. I mean, it doesn't translate to the game necessarily, but, uh, but it looks cool. You know, it looks cool, man. We can, you know, we put up a plate on a net and try to kill a plate and see how fast you could get it there. And it was, it was a great little fun competition. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had guys averaging in the low one sevens and then, you know, I think our, our best was like a one, six, one or something oh like that. Gosh. It was some ridiculous number. It wasn't just me. It was me. I had a scout with me. So it was, <laughs> I, so I'm we, we had, here. you know, like so we, I need, we, I need somebody else to, to verify this. And he was getting better numbers than I was. So I, I felt pretty confident with it. So we, we did the same thing. Um, this was on the travel circuit at a perfect game event. I had Domingo Ayala coaching with us in 2012 down in Marietta, Georgia. And so he was with us for three days. He would practice with us in the mornings. And we, do, we used to always do a, a pop time challenge with all of our catchers. I would play for them and we would challenge them for smoothies because it was so damn hot down there. Domingo was doing his thing, just goofing off. And he literally jumped about six feet in front of the plate, did a double play turn, and it, it was like a one four seven. Yeah. And so he just walked off. He's like, I'm done. He goes, I'm, you know, I'm a little sore from the other day. He goes, normally they're around one three, but <laughs> that's how that's how the whole cheating thing, when you when you see some of these kids in the showcases that are completely sideways or they're jumping three feet in front of home plate, it's no wonder they go back and brag and say, Hey, I'm a I'm a one seven. And well, how come no one in the big leagues is like that? You're not doing it in a game. No, I mean, if you watch guys on the pitch out, they probably drop those numbers pretty low if they're cheating out there too. So I, I you know, I, it doesn't mean anything either way. You know, it's, I don't care about what the numbers are ever. I mean, half the time I forget my stopwatch when I go watch a game, you know, I don't, uh, it's about, are we getting a clean exchange? You know, can we get the ball in our right hand, get our right foot down? And then can we get the guy out? Like, accurate throws so you know it's just a little different the way that i look at it uh because it's it's very black and white like is he out or is he safe or did Mm -hmm. you make a good throw or did you not make a good throw um you know the what the pitchers do and what the runners do and all this stuff like we can't control but we can control you know getting it in our right hand getting a right foot down and making an accurate throw so um yeah i don't at the end i believe all the time it's about yeah. results, you know? Yep. And, and that's our game, you know? Um, I, I've talked about it many times. Like the cool thing about player development or getting to the major leagues is it's a crockpot environment, man. We, we, if we get a Venezuelan kid when he's 16 years old, um, I need him to be good in like seven years, six years, five years if he's really good. And, you know, every so often you just kind of open the crockpot and throw some new ingredients in to make it smell better at this point. Like, <laughs> that's the difference in our environment rather, you know, versus um, an amateur environment is is that we have time, tons and tons and tons of time. So uh, there's times where it's like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to give it a month. And if at the end of one month, we're not seeing the results and we'll change it. Um, But we're not going to go and just react each day. There's no reason to Um, certainly you see trends, 
you know, especially with the numbers and receiving. Um, and the same with the throwing or the blocking. We we see trends happen all the time, and that's the it's what you try to address address with the guys as time goes on. But we just have so much time with them, uh, and some guys can shortcut it, and that's when you see a guy that gets up there quicker than another guy. I mean, we have a young kid named Diego Cartaya right now. He's played, well, if we ever play this year, he'll play this whole year at 18 years old. Um, and he's going to be a star, you know. I mean, he's just advanced for his age. And we're able to do things with him and his, you know, ability to make adjustments is, is faster than some other guys who are still working at stuff that, that's taken two or three years, you know. And, um, you know, you just try to find what's going to work for the kid and you just – don't put limits on them and and that's kind of how we go about it to go push players forward no ryan you you live down in arizona so you live near um the ranch there how when's your season start and when does your season end particularly for you how often are uh, you hosting uh you know your like you said never. earlier in the cast about your catcher training camps and um, when do you ever get a break, I guess? Uh, the week of Thanksgiving is usually really slow. Christmas is slow. That's pretty much it. It's, it's mm -hmm. a 12-month It's a twelve month thing now. Um, if it isn't player plans, it's planning for something else. It's, you know, um, we get players in pretty early, so you, you, you have to have a plan in place for them when they get here. And then, uh, you know, just trying to play the long game with everything. Once we get into July and August with the players, it's more about maintenance and making sure that they're just not slipping on the things that they've built this whole year. If we get them in instructional league, it's about revamping or um, retooling stuff. And then it's just maintenance from then on. So, um, you know, I think uh, this is not something that's unique to us, but it's certainly the change that's happening is that everybody realizes the most important time is between the seasons, not necessarily at the beginning of the season or during the season. And uh, the more you can have hands-on with the players, uh, the better it is. And, you know, once we finish our instructional league here, you know, you immediately go get on a plane, go down to the Dominican and go work in their instructional league and shoot that one goes until Thanksgiving. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, December there's hitting camps. And if there's a catcher in that, I usually head over there and do a little, you know, just maintenance work with those guys, see where they're at. And then once you hit the first of the year, it's pretty much, you know, the season. So there's no, there's no real uh, downtime for us and uh, which is fine. I mean, it's what I, this is my favorite thing to do. So. <laughs> do you do, uh, do you do any scouting? Um, did the Dodgers send you out to go look at potential uh, drafts for the catching position? Yeah, I saw uh, 18 guys last year. I think it was like 12 or 14 the year before. I don't know. I can't remember how many years I've been. Uh, I'm, I don't remember if the first year I was doing stuff, if they had me look at video or not. But I've been on the road doing it for the last three, four, three, something like that. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, really good catchers over the years. And I, I can tell you this, the scout's job is really hard. And the scout life on the road uh, it's very lonely and, you know, at least being a coordinator, I, I bump from every, you know, from LA down to our Dominican Academy, at least I'm seeing people and getting to interact. Um, 
especially as somebody who's not necessarily a scout, you know, you, when I walk into a stadium, I don't know anybody unless I see one of our guys or, you know, somebody else. So I've been kind of, I don't know if you would call it cross-checking the catchers or whatever, but they send me out uh, specifically to go look at the catchers and um, I write pretty detailed reports on what we see, how long I think it would take to get the skills to where we would want them. Or if there's certain traps that I think that we could fall into with players and um, you know, I'm, I've seen, man, I've seen a lot of really, really good ones uh, over the, over the years. And, you know, we, we've, we've really only drafted uh, Connor Wong out of that group who got traded over to Boston here in the, in the bets price trade. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, of all the guys I've seen, but I've gotten really good input on them and I've learned a lot just because I, again, I see more, the more that I see, the better it is. Cause there's things that I'm going to get from it. That's the way I look look at it you know and um you can see what training guys have had and maybe they've tried different things and it's you know like oh that might work with our guys or that might work with a specific player and i certainly uh have taken some things i've seen over the last four or five years scouting uh and put them into play with us what what are you when you're going there i know it's just it's I mean, there's so many things to, to look at, but what are some of the things that you're peering into? I mean, are you bringing that stopwatch with you and are you clocking in between inning throws? Um, uh, you know, are you, are you looking at the way the person sets up their mobility? I'm sure I'm probably listing a lot of the stuff off that you look at, but what are some of the things you go in with, with a blank slate and say, okay, today I want to, you know, this kid, I've, I've, done some of my homework ahead of time but what is it that you're looking at when you go and look at a catcher i actually don't do any homework beforehand i go looking at it with a totally blank slate so i try to uh look through it through my own i did forget a stopwatch once and had to stop at a sporting store <laughs> well i uh, uh but yeah i i um everything you said you know flexibility mobility stance variability um, how they receive, and I write pretty extensively on that, and blocking and throwing, and then uh, teammate behavior stuff, leadership skills that you know, if if any that I might have seen. I mean, I'm not can't see that much sometimes at a high school game, uh, and then how they hit. And generally, they have not sent me. Well, I know they haven't sent me to see anybody that couldn't hit, so it's always been nice to see those guys rake when I'm there. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean. I write, I don't know, there's three, two, three, four page reports on each guy. Just, just, uh, just on what, where he would fit in with us, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's the, the perspective that I can give and then what we can do. We, we've got an incredible group here, man. Like our relationship with our scouting department is tight and our relationship with our pro scouts is tight. And um, we've got a, a hell of a group. And, and it's really fun that we can all kind of interact together and we can give the input to them. They can give input to us. And um, I certainly love listening to our scouts when they come into town, you know, especially the amateur guys will come and do some pro coverage and then you see the pro scouts. And I love to hear what they see, you know, cause sometimes you get blind to it. You know, mm-hmm. you guys know you work with players. There's times you just completely get blind to um, some of the stuff that you, you you might assume. And again, that's something that Tom house taught me a long time ago. And I slip on it all the time is to, you know, go through your full checklist every single day 
And, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's a tough thing to do. It's easy, you know, easy to say, hard to do. Um, but if you are able to go through your full checklist, then it's, it's easier to, to evaluate your players, uh, you know, each day because they are different and every day is different. Looking at, you know, you were um, a high school coach and when you go to these games now and you see the catchers with the wristbands on, were you the coach that would take the time to work with your catchers on how to call a game? And then what is your opinion on when you, you go to a game and you see the wristband on and not really necessarily, how, how are you judging the leadership aspect or commanding that game per se with somebody that's sitting there with a wristband on? That's oh, I, I have a pile of wristbands over here, so I'd be a hypocrite if I said we didn't use them. <laughs> um, yeah, cutting up the I just cut cut up another batch of signs the other day. We we're still doing that. So um, the amount of information that we have, uh, it's crazy. I mean, you have to use. There's no way you can truly follow the game plan without it. Um, it's hard. It's that's that was hard at first, honestly, to do. But I'm a hundred percent in on it at this point. Like, you know, you see what what the computer spits out, what the pitcher wants, what the catcher wants, what the coaches want, and then you know, marrying all that, and then making sure you're doing the right stuff. Like, there's so much information out there that it's way too much for a one man to um, to do on a nightly basis. Uh, I would say when I was a high school coach, I hated it. My, I never called pitches. Maybe one or two pitches a game if I saw something. But um, my guys completely called the games together, both the pitchers and the catchers, and it was based uh, mostly off what the strength of the pitchers were. And then we would just kind of, you know, jump into a player if we are playing, you know, a series or something. Um, you, know, you didn't have as much information. You could just see who was hot and who wasn't damaged and whatnot. But you know, who to stay away from, who would run, you know, all the stuff that we all grew up on. But, uh, you know, it's just not hard and soft away anymore. Front side spin that like that, that does, doesn't play. Uh, so it's very specific. And then, you know, then it's an art to figuring out how that works and how uh, you're going to use that information that day and match it up with what the, the picture is. So, I mean, the game planning aspect is a whole, that's a whole separate skill as far as I'm concerned. And, um, you know, the guys do, they, my gosh, they do such a, a great job with it. And, you know, we, we do a lot of stuff with the guys. I mean, they do, um, body language work with them. They do all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, AJ Lalonde and Leo Ruiz, they do such a great job with these guys preparing them to have these great relationships. Cause if they have better relationships, it, it you know, it gains trust. And then, uh, they have a better chance of going into this thing to, to win rather than, you know, to push and, you know, the game's set up for us to win uh, from the mound. So if we can get these guys to do all the things right, not, not right, but if you can get them in the best position possible, then they have the best, you know, chance to win, you know, game calling in my, in my mind is it's a little subjective because it's like, if you got a hit, it was bad. And if you, you know, got an out, it was good. It's very easy to second guess. So uh, we try not to do too much of that unless the guys go way away from the game plan, um, you know, and, and they're allowed to play hunches all the time. They go off script quite a bit and it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. And that's, that's cool. Like I said, man, it's, it's all the crockpot 
living. Uh, they're, they're learning. It's, it's when we get to LA, we want them to be as, as solid as possible. Um, because it's a totally different beast there. And when you're playing, you know, uh, we had a lot of conversations with Will about it. It's like, and Austin, like Austin, he was saying like every pitch in the major leagues is like a full game. Uh, every pitch in the world series, I'm sorry, is like a full game. Like you don't know how much is riding on every single pitch. So, uh, you know, your, your planning and stuff for that has to be spot on. The thing I want to talk to you about is your mantra, um, serve to lead. And kind of the culture that you've created with the Dodgers and just, uh, you know, there's so many exciting players that you discussed and that we can go out and watch, but go into your, your mantra with your team uh, and your guys and your catching core about serve to lead a little bit. So we were given a task by Gabe Kopler back in, I want to say it was 2015 to, to create a, uh, you know, a department mantra basically. Uh, so Travis Barbary and I and Austin Chubb all sat down and we, you know, we kind of just threw out what was important to us and um, we came up with serve to lead and that servant leadership uh, with uh, communication, you know, within our pillars of communication, trust and flexibility, but also like, you know, rolling with the punches and, uh, um, you know, preparation and stuff like that. So it, that's just kind of how we go about it. And it's, it's, it's who we are. So if, if you can't do that here, you're probably not going to be um, part of our group for very long, to be honest with you. So it's that important to us. And it's, it's what we try to, to live and breathe every day, um, putting others before us, um, serving our pitching staff, you know, to the nth degree and, and just making sure that we communicate the best we can um, to work together. That's awesome. I mean, it's, 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 it's something that takes time, man. And when new guys hop into it, there's obviously they don't understand, you know, when you get new drafts, sometimes they don't understand exactly that it isn't just about them at this point. It is their career 100%, but like you're part of a bigger group. And if, if, I mean, we've, we've had, uh, there was a player, I won't say his name, but, um, he got kicked out of his level. They sent him back to extended because he was a bad teammate. Like took him off the field for a month, you know, as a catcher, like that's unacceptable to us. So you either are on board with this or you're not, there's no, there's no wishy-washy part of it, man. It's like you're either part of our group or you're not. And if you're not going to be part of our group, like you're off, you're, you're out. So, you know, there was a lot of work to do to get, um, this young man back to where he needed to be. And again, we, we have the luxury of time, so it, it didn't hinder his career. And he actually has a really great career right now. And, you know, it's like he needed that at that point in his career to be a great teammate, to be a better leader, all the things that we want. Um, and, and he's going to be better for it. And it, it's, is something to be really proud of on his end that he's made the necessary adjustments the same way you would do it with a swing or with your defense or anything else. Well, thanks. Uh, we really appreciate the time that you've taken with us. Um, this has been awesome. I mean, just a lot of, a lot of great information here for our listeners and keep doing what you're doing, buddy. Uh, love watching your guys perform and um, you know, hopefully we can get back on the field pretty soon here and, 
we can all go enjoy a, a baseball game, hopefully um, sooner than than later. I got it's gonna one be great thing, once Ryan. we get on there. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, so for all the kids listening, you know they they've been listening to this for the last few weeks, and we we have different obviously different catching guys that are on. But when you hear from organization to organization, you know it's not every organization is different. And from you guys, you guys sound like it's you know like it's it's a big brotherhood where you might not have that within other organizations. It's almost like the, the bigger, obviously everyone wants to get to the big leagues, but it's the goal of the organization, you know, to develop you the way that they feel that you're going to be an asset to help them obviously win the world series. And I just, I just wanted to, to mention that because that was, you know, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about the conversation today was listening to, you know, how you guys are, are one, one unit working together, you know, outside of obviously competing against each other, but, yeah, that's awesome. That just speaks uh, speaks a lot about the Dodgers. I appreciate that, and it, you're right. It is. It's. Uh, I'll tell you what. When we traded uh, Connor Wong and Jair Camargo, man, like it was devastating to me because they are brothers. You know, they're like my little brothers. Every one of these guys, uh, we've had close to 80 guys, or maybe even close to 90 catchers in my time here, and um, like I love every one of them the exact same. You know, I mean. You know, it's, it's like your kids. You obviously have a, a favorite every day. <laughs> it, it rotates. But, uh, you know, these guys are um, – they work their butts off for us. And I am extremely grateful to them that they allow us to help them and that they give us trust. Um, sometimes it's blind trust, and we'll ask for that. Uh, but they – you know, we, we try to form the best relationships we can with the guys to not only make them better players, but better fathers and better brothers and better husbands. And we, we fully, fully, fully believe that if you do that, you're going to have better players. Um, and I think that's just kind of the base of everything that we do here, man. It's just, it, it is a really cool um, piece of our job that we probably don't get in other positions because we are in the trenches with them the whole time. And we do uh, appreciate them. And, you know, we, we will go and, you know, they, we're going to rib each other and have fun, but we fully, fully appreciate how hard their job is. And I think they understand that. Yeah, that's great. One thing I want to ask you too, and I, I've been doing this with the last couple of guys, but um, one thing I want to ask you, Sinks, before we, we get signing off here, a couple of things. First and foremost, if you got any personal goals that you're trying to, to achieve here this next upcoming year, um, as well as, you know, any thank yous that you want to give to the people that have influenced you in your career? Yeah. First, I guess the guys that really influenced me, um, there's been quite a few, man. I got to play with a whole bunch of really good players throughout my career. Um, but Matt Noakes was a big guy for me, uh, who, you know, he, he actually took me in a long time ago and then we did a lot of work together. Um, and he taught me a lot about the receiving. A lot of this receiving stuff I got is from him from his time with Bob Guerin, who's our bench coach now, uh, when they were both with the Yankees a long time ago. And then, um, you know, using the knowledge from their careers, you know, putting it in, in with my career and everything else. And then another guy's Ed Herman, uh, is no longer with us, unfortunately, but, um, I got to coach with him. He, uh, was a big influence on me in a lot of different ways because he gave, some validation and some questions to what I was teaching and I was really open to it at that point. So it was pretty awesome. And, um, as far as personal goals, man, um, 
I want to be a better dad. Uh, it's probably my be around my kids a little bit more. And this, this, uh, Corona occasion that we're on has been awesome for me. Um, because I'm getting to be around my kids a lot more. Um, that'd be my biggest goal here. And then, you know, professionally, we got, we got a whole bunch of rings back here, but we don't have the big one. So, uh, if we can, if we can get, if we can get, uh, one of those, that would be awesome because, uh, it would be fun to know that you had a little tiny, tiny piece, uh, in something that special, uh, with a, a great group of guys and, um, you know, just keep forming those relationships. That'd be my goals. Awesome, man. That's awesome. Yep. And, and I would have to say with all the moves that were made this last off season, the, the Dodgers are probably one of the teams that's in position to get to that, that final pinnacle. So, um, sure we, wish so. You, we, <laughs> we wish you all the best. And again, thank you for taking the time with us today. And, um, we wish you and your family, um, safe, safety and healthy, uh, time as we, we hopefully get over this, um, you know, this invisible enemy, this virus, and, and we can get back to some normalcy and, and start to get down and, and, you know, turn on the tube again and get back in the back dugout. In the field. And, yep. you know. Yeah, no doubt. I appreciate it. you guys. Are, this is awesome. I love uh, this forum that you guys have created and I appreciate you guys taking the time to even want to speak to me about this and then, um, you know, keep killing it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to close it out here. You know, we were just talking with Ryan Sanko, LA Dodgers catching coordinator. Uh, We want to thank you for listening in and um, tune in soon. Take care. Stay safe. Well, folks, it looks like we're going to pack everything up and head on home. This is CJ Medlin. Uh, I apologize. Wasn't able to be on today. Had some uh, personal issues going on and uh, I'll be on next week for sure. On behalf of myself, CJ Medlin, Tyler Goodrow, and Chris News, we'd like to thank Ryan Sanko for coming on this week and talking baseball with us and keeping some normalcy in our lives, especially y'all's out there when there's all this uh, chaos going on, and we hope every one of y'all are staying safe and healthy. Well, stay tuned next week when we have another special guest on, and folks, we thank you again for tuning in, and we'll catch you later.